Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film. My name is Anna Smith. I'm a film critic and I'm host of the podcast Girls on Film, which I presume you know if you're here. We've been everywhere from Rotterdam to Glasgow to Cannes and Manchester, but this is our first time in Bradford, the home of Rita, Sue and Bob too, one of my favourites. We are delighted to be part of Widescreen Weekend here at the National Science and Media Museum. I have two great guests that I'm going to be interviewing today. Emma Reed is a singer and actress and part of the comedy improv group Notflix. Please give her a warm round of applause. Hello. Tell us more about Notflix. So, where to start? Um, so, we're an improvised musical. We're an all-women's improvised musical. So, the audience come in, they write down a film. It's the last film they saw that they really enjoyed, or maybe their favourite film. They all get put into a bucket. We choose two out of the bucket. The audience vote. And then we turn that film into a live musical with a band. Um, yeah. Give us an example of one that you've done which went down really well, which is a really interesting little improv. Uh, we did a great one, actually, recently. We did um, Hobbs and Shaw, mm -hmm. which is the new Fast and Furious film. <laughs> and we, because we're all women, we love doing films that are sort of so overly masculine, so much toxic masculinity and so about, you know, who's the top dog. And we love changing that and just completely rewriting it. So we did sort of a love story between The Rock and Jason Statham. And uh, we complained it with no irony. We were completely invested in it. And we actually got people to cry, which is amazing. And you wow. know, you've got two little brunette girls being The Rock and Jason Statham and people are <laughs> invested and you've got one of them dying on stage and uh, people are like, oh, it's so real. And we just love doing that because we're all women and we get to step into whatever male part we want and we don't feel any qualms about it. Now, I know you're on your own without your troupe, but I feel like we need a little bit of a demo. Would you agree, audience? Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. We? Yeah. <laughs> so let's have a suggestion of a film. What would you normally, you speak to the audience, what would you yeah, normally ask um, for? Yeah, your favourite film or the last film that you saw that you really enjoyed? West Side Story. West Side Story. Great. Um, and what's your, who's your favourite character in West Side Story? Officer Krupke. Great character. All right, can I have a... Right. Yeah, I'm roaming the streets doing the best I can. It's really be hard to be a policeman. Yes, they say that I'm a complete dork because I'm roaming all the streets of New York. It's all about all the fame and the glory trying to separate these gangs in West Side Story. And yes, going out there and fighting that crime and I'll get those gangs. I'm going to get them this time. Woo! <laughs> That was brilliant, Emma. Thank Cheers, you. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And thank you for that great suggestion. We may well be mentioning West Side Story later. Good choice. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of musicals, what musicals did you grow up loving? Oh, gosh, I had so many. Um, I was a huge fan of Little Shop of Horrors. I really like musicals that completely transport you to a whole other world and the the world the little shop of horrors creates i mean audrey too the monster the plant that they create 
I mean, I watched it recently again and they just completely take you there, really take you into the world of Skid Row. And yeah, I was completely captivated and this hilarious man-eating plant. <laughs> and I believe you're also a fan of Rocky Horror, is yes. that correct? Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, who isn't a fan of seeing Tim Gurry in a corset? Um, <laughs> yeah, a huge fan. I think that t that was the first sort of thing I'd seen that was the sort of first representation of drag and yeah. musical theater. Because I think that's the thing about musical theater. That's why a lot of the LGBTQ community love it so much because we get to be transported. There's so much love and musicality and performance and art and people don't feel feel unencumbered to just step into a dress or step into a corset yeah. and feel their fantasy. So that was the first time I'd seen that sort of come to life on screen, I think. And you also mentioned hairspray as an yes. influence. Your great choice. There's all these. I'm noticing a pattern <laughs> with my choices. Uh, yeah, I think hairspray was great. I think that's really interesting, and I love the John Waters version. Yes, but I also love the new version as yeah. well. Seeing a woman, a plus size woman, dancing on stage, and she's not an ugly fat girl, and then all of a sudden she yeah. becomes this beautiful girl at the end. She is proud and confident in herself from the beginning, and it's just just her getting on stage and that's really nice no one's trying to change her no one's trying to make her into something different it's interesting that we're still talking about these kind of issues now and even though that happened a long time ago unfortunately it's still not the norm yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah that was 2007 i don't think we've seen enough of that in screens recently agreed now as part of the bfi musical season the widescreen weekend has highlighted the work of doris day we love Doris Day. Mm -hmm. We've previously talked about the pyjama game on Girls on Film in episode 10, if you want to revisit that one. That's when we were at Manchester. It's not one of her best-known films. Um, personally, my favourite Doris Day film is Calamity Jane. Yes. I was just looking up the real about the real Calamity Jane, and Wikipedia describes her as an army scout, explorer, performer, dance hall girl, prostitute, frontier woman. I mean... She, she sounds great. <laughs> what a combo. Imagine that LinkedIn page. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were a little bit more coy with the movie version, weren't mm -hmm. they? But uh, let's have a look at a clip of Calamity Jane. Oh, the Deadwood stages are rolling on over the plains With the curtains flapping and the driver a-slapping the reins A beautiful sky, a wonderful day Whip crack away, whip crack away, whip crack away Oh, the Deadwood stages are heading on over the hills Where the engine arrows are thicker than porcupine quills Dangerous land, no time to delay Fantastic, Clownty Jane. I was just smiling throughout the whole of that. <laughs> Thank God the lights were down because I was like <laughs> grinning. <laughs> it's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, again, it's got that joyful feeling. But there's something liberating back then about seeing a woman dressed you know, in what was traditionally man's clothes, jumping around and ruling that room. Yeah, completely. completely. And it's a bar. The, the traditionally, like, you wouldn't have seen that. And just that sort of wheeler dealer was so often and st still is uh, like a man's role. And she's just completely controlling that room, moving men around. And I mean, it's crazy now watching it through a modern eyes and st it's still being groundbreaking, which, which is crazy. It it's mad, be. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, because gender roles in those kind of films in that era were generally very, very defined. Yeah. And Calamity Jane sort of plays with that because the idea is that she's what then would have been called a tomboy. And then, mm. you know, they, should, if she wants to catch the eye of the man she loves, should she wear a little pretty dress? Mm -hmm. But they actually then kind of explore that a bit. And I think that makes Calamity Jane extra interesting mm. to watch. I yeah. think as well, with, and I noticed with Calamity Jane is that 
she's a great character because she's that and also she is kind of ditzy and you know a bit all over the place and so she's they haven't just gone oh she's a tomboy so she's rough and ready she's like a layered character she's a layered person very true so this is one musical i think you can revisit from a feminist perspective and not be too shocked actually and go well you know this is pretty stands up no yeah i yeah. think it's definitely i think it still has that magic and i think definitely from a feminist point of view it definitely yeah. there's problems obviously yeah. but there always will be from that time but i think it definitely has that magic and we all want to watch it again now i yeah. do anyway <laughs> brilliant so um emma thank you so much for coming to us on film do stay and meet our next guest so our next guest is mia bays she's the oscar-winning producer and power house behind bird's eye view she runs their reclaim the frame initiative please welcome mia bays hello hello mia welcome back to girls on thank film thank you now this is your third time i think now yeah, girls on film. You're, you are a veteran you're a regular thank you so much for coming back and coming to bradford also congratulations you've just been nominated for an award right tell us more correct yeah so we've just been nominated for a screen award which is screen internationals awards for distribution campaigns and cinemas and people in exhibition people doing stuff around audience yeah. connected work and there's a new category called game changer and it's for initiatives that are changing the game as the name would suggest um so we just got nominated and yeah that's great the ceremony is at the end of november good luck bravo you. so you have an upcoming season which ties in very well with our musical special correct yeah so as part of the bfi musical season we were asked to put a bid in um what would we like to do that was specifically around celebrating women and, and the musical so we decided that barbara streisand needed some reframing uh so we are doing a tour to eight cities and it's called reframing streisand and we're particularly we're taking a star is born yentl and funny girl specifically and screening the films and then having conversations and other activities around those three films and specifically around around Streisand and her completely groundbreaking career. And I'm going to be joining you in one of them for Yentl. You are, Looking Anna. forward to that. Yes. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Um, let's watch a clip. I think we've got Don't Rain On My Parade from Funny Girl. Let's have a look. Beautiful. Don't tell me. Don't tell me not to live, just sit and putter. Life's candy and the sun's a ball of butter. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. Don't. Tell me not to fly, I simply got to If someone takes a spill, it's me and not you Who told you you're allowed to rain on my parade I'll march my band out I'll beat my drum And if I'm found out Your turn at bat, sir At least I didn't fake it, hat, sir I guess I didn't make it Wonderful what a song right amazing do you enjoy that emma yeah that run with the bags is so relatable i mean that i feel like that's my entire life trying to catch a plane or a train with all those bags so yeah why why do you think this demonstrates Streisand so beautifully this particular choice well i mean that song could really encapsulate barbara's career actually she's just so you know, not only is she a groundbreaker in that she's the only person to won Oscar, a Golden Globe, an Emmy, a Grammy. She's had number one albums in six consecutive decades. That She's the only oh person God. to do that. I mean, there are just so many firsts with Barbara. And she wins an Oscar for that performance, age 24, for Funny Girl. And really, 
you know, she never stops defining herself and not being defined by others. And that's such a, an incredible thing, especially for musical stars, because you think about her precedents like Judy Garland and the others and even Doris Day and all of the others, really. They never managed to control their career. Mm-hmm. Streisand obviously wasn't the first to try and do that with people like Mary Pickford being one of the artists who set up United Artists in this attempt for actresses or actors, uh, performers both to to control their careers and establish their own material. But no one did it like Babs. No one put Babs in the corner to appropriate a line from another film. (laughs) (laughs) And she was always very much herself, right? Yeah, and that's another thing. One of the great quotes that we found was, her saying, you know, Barbara Streisand is her real name. She never changed her name, which again is very rare. Mm. She said, I went to LA and I didn't get a nose job. I didn't change my name. I didn't get my teeth fixed. I defined myself. And so I think it's really interesting to look at these three different films, Star is Born, Yentl and Funny Girl, because her sort of creative control develops. And then also what then happens around that is the reactions somewhat change. The more she's, she keeps creative control, the less popular she is for doing so. Wow. And that's a really interesting thing, yeah. I think, to discuss still now. Now, with this star is born, um, it's interesting to look at that one in this current day, because obviously we've recently had the Lady Gaga version. And then, of course, you've been revisiting the Judy Garland one as well, sort of to make the comparisons. Yeah, actually, funnily enough, I saw her at the London Film Festival, we're going to talk about the London Film Festival, I don't know, a mm. bit later, but I saw an amazing film directed by a friend called Stephen Kayak, who did a film called Sid and Judy, which is about Judy Garland's marriage to Sid Luft. It's a 13-year period in which there's quite a seminal amount of stuff that happens in Garland's career. And there's this beautiful clip with Streisand and Garland singing on Garland's variety show. And Judy Garland can't keep her hands off of Streisand like she sort of keeps hugging her as they perform and it feels really natural and like she means it and Streisand talked about that being a really key moment for her she was obviously much younger it was like she was passing a baton over but Garland said to her don't let them control you like they did me wow and it feels like Streisand had that in her anyway, but certainly Garland and the kind of tragedy of that life and career made a big impact on her and that she wasn't going to go that way. That's so interesting. If people want to find out about the Streisand season, where can they go? Yeah, so Bird's Eye View, follow us on all of our platforms or online and also on the BFI Musicals platform there too. Excellent. I'm really looking forward to being involved with it. It's such a great choice. Brilliant. Now, you also once worked on something we're calling a musical. It's kind of a musical, but it's very, very different to what we're talking about. It's Ill Manners, crime thriller, much more recent. It's um, set in London with Ben Drew, a.k.a. Plan B. Hip hop musical for the 21st century, they called it. Correct. What did you do on that? Were you producing? I was a creative producer on that film and um, I've got 18 producer credits and a lot of the films that I've made have strong amount of music in them but not necessarily been musicals Mm. I kind of prefer that genre myself films that centre music aren't necessarily musicals Ill Manners is an interesting one because he stars writes directs and produced and um 
his role is as like the Greek chorus. So the soundtrack provides the narration for the for the film. It stars Riz Ahmed, who's amazing, and it was definitely part of his kind of career trajectory. Yeah. And yeah, it was kind of a great one to work on actually because of doing something that felt like it was taking the temperature of the times and it's set on the streets of Hackney. It's pretty hardcore in terms of what it depicts, but his lyrics are really kind of profoundly punchy and and so yeah i'm proud of it for that because it was trying to do something that said something and meant something well mia thank you for joining us and we're going to go back in time to the more traditional musicals again and i was thinking about all the musicals that we love and that we grew up with and we've discussing and so much of it seems to be about the battle of the sexes right so it's men versus women exploring the gender dynamic between two tribes almost. I mean, West Side Story is obviously an example of that. Um, another interesting example of that is, of course, Greece. And I've got a nice little clip for you. Let's watch a clip from Greece. Some loving had me a blast. Some loving happened so fast. I met a girl crazy for me. There you go, Greece. I mean, I, I love it. I love it. But, you know, when you watch that back, pretty torn on a few aspects of that song. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just the difference, isn't it? Like the way the girls are like talking about, you know, did he spend any money? Did he get you a car? And then yeah. they're just sort of gyrating the boys are just gyrating in the background it's sort of a bit that she put up a fight that's probably i was just thinking what do you mean a fight about what like just really problematic that lyric yeah rizzo is totally a mood by the way that lying on the bed that is definitely a mood it's it's interesting that on the one hand it's problematic on the other hand i think the whole of greece actually as a film does pick up on something which is very real about teenagers which is that boys tend to exaggerate their sexual accomplishments (laughs) and the girls have take a more romantic view and that is a cliche but in my experience of being a teenager that was pretty accurate what Mm. do you think what's funny actually watching it back is like then none of them are teenagers they're all like in their (laughs) 20s it's quite absurd actually when you think about it like full full grown people yeah talking about you know being in high school yeah I mean I always identified with Rizzo I always wanted to be her so you know she's just the voice of reason and if she wasn't there it would be really problematic that film I think but she just provides such a great counterpoint she's kind of ahead of her time you need that cynicism, that. don't you, yeah. in a way? Yeah. yeah, that's interesting, yeah. Who did you want to be, either in Greece or, or any film growing up, any musical? Gosh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, actually, Rizzo's a great, is a great one. I really liked um, Velma Kelly from Chicago. I thought she was oh, yeah. so great, like, she, the way she starts and she, you just, she just killed her husband and she just goes on stage. I thought she was amazing. And I just, uh, when um, Catherine Zeta-Jones did it, um, that whole number that she does, I simply can't do it alone. She's just so captivating and magical, I think that it's hard not to want to be here in that moment definitely well when I was watching Sound of Music last night I was remembering that I was always torn between wanting to be sort of more wholesome but yet rebellious Maria but then the Baroness <laughs> I mean how glamorous is the Baroness I mean and, extraordinary and she, she's got a plan the Baroness she's just she's way ahead of the game 
game. She's she's thinking <laughs> about the money. She's thinking about them going to boarding school. Yeah, they're like, yes, you yeah. do you. Um, you know, she she knows how to dress. She's incredible, mm. but she is a bit Machiavellian. But I like the way she has a bit of a character arc as well, and she makes the right choice in the end. Great. Well, our next section I have called Guilty Pleasures. <laughs> so um, possibly very guilty pleasures. I'm still on the musicals theme. Now, sometimes musicals we've enjoyed in our youth are problematic when we revisit them now, as we've sort of touched on. Um, they become like a guilty pleasure. And the one I've chosen is loaded with problems. I grew up watching it with my family pretty much once a year. Absolutely loved it. Sung it around the house. Um, knew all the characters off by heart. Loved the costumes. It is Seven Brides for seven brothers now I mean I feel bad even watching it now um, but I you know it has many wonderful qualities it's still uplifting it still has some great characters but my god the song we're about to see you, you'll probably know the one I mean does any, anyone guess which song I might have picked from seven, Brides, seven brothers let's have a look at a clip seven <laughs> brides seven brothers Tell you about them sobbing women who lived in the Roman days. It seems that they all went swimming while their men was off to graze. Well, a Roman troop was riding by and saw them in their me oh my. So they took them all back home to dry. At least that's what Plutarch says. Oh, yes, them women was sobbing, 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 fit to be tied. Every muscle was throbbing, throbbing from that riotous ride. They cried and kissed and kissed and cried all over that Roman countryside. So don't forget that when you're taking a bride, sob and fit to be tied from that riotous ride. Right, no one's clapping that one. <laughs> I mean, a beautifully constructed wow. song about kidnap and rape. Ah, <laughs> it's just the jovial nature, the way they're singing. It's so weird. It feels it's such a oxymoron just talking about it in such a jovial, happy way. And the music's really catchy. So it's like, no, I don't want to hear this. Um, yeah, I, I actually like had my head in my hands a bit in that clip. It was just yeah. really weird to watch. Mia, I caught your eye during that. <laughs> You're looking a bit like, really? Yeah, the patriarchy <laughs> writes good musicals, doesn't it? Wow, amazing. I mean, yeah, a song about sexual violence. I yeah. mean... In the Roman times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, women will have rights someday. Yeah. Is one of the lines. And they want, they wow. want it really, is the message. <laughs> they said they, they, they seem sad, but actually, actually they're overjoyed. That was, I'm yes. pretty sure that was a lyric I just heard. Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the whole film, as many of people here will know, revolves around that scene because the men actually do go and kidnap the women they fancy. Uh, and then, of course, um, the, the wife, the sensible woman, says you mustn't do that and keeps them separated for the winter. But then, of course, what happens? They come round. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they come round. So, um, like they all do eventually. Like they all do in the end. And I think, I mean, some people might say, oh, you're overanalyzing it. It's just a musical. Let's have fun with it. But I grew up watching that and walking around the house singing that song. I was word perfect. And, you know, okay, I'm, I'm lucky I, I've turned out feminist. But, I mean, some of the gender dynamics I saw in those films growing up, I do think affected me. You know, for ages, I just thought that women were supposed to be passive and pretty and, and not complain. And, you know, a lot of us women are built, you know, brought up that way anyway by society. But I do think those musicals really reinforce those kind of messages. Yeah, especially because the music's music's catchy and fun. So you learn the lyrics and you go around singing them. It's in your head. It's it's like music sticks with you. Yeah. So that message will stick with a lot of girls. Yeah. So that is really problematic. 
like you'll always remember a catchy tune but if the words are bad then you're going to yeah. remember that message definitely now your guilty pleasure emma carousel yes carousel uh i watched this recently it's bad. It's really bad. Um, so Carousel, who, for everyone who hasn't watched it, is about a man who he's in heaven and he's looking down at his life and he sort of has one last chance to go back and sort of right his wrong. Um, and you look back on his life and he worked on a carousel, met this girl, married her and then spends the whole of their marriage beating her up and then robs a bank and gets killed. And he is the beginning of the film starts with him being in heaven and it's sort of like a nativity setting, like he's hanging up stars, like the decorations and he's on a ladder and he's like, oh boy, I wasn't so good on earth. And then you go to his life and it's not just he's not good, he's abusing his, from the very beginning, there is no honeymoon stage. He gaslights this woman into falling in love with him basically. And then like a week into their marriage, he's stealing money off her cousin and beating her and being like, yeah, well, I wasn't so great. And the music is so beautiful, but it just it is just horrible to watch because they address it not from a, we know this is bad. It's like, don't worry guys, because he's writing his wrongs from heaven. And yeah, I, when I rewatched it, I was like, I can't believe I ever liked this. Really. Yeah, I haven't seen it for many, many years, but I feel like I'm going to be very shocked when I hear about mm. it. Although even though I had the record and I played it. So. Yeah. And you picked out another one, which I thought was really interesting. The King and I, yeah. Mm. Watching that, it's beautiful, but there's a real sense of us and them that they create from the very beginning. And they treat it like, you know, these people are warriors and they don't know how to act and they don't know how to treat their children and they don't know how to treat each other and their wives and oh, the nice white people come along and just teach you how to act. And we know from now that's not right. And they create that from the very beginning and they, actually they don't really move from that. Good choice. Mia, anything to bring to mind um, for you? Just to say that I saw that live on stage with Deborah Carr and Yul Brynner. I can't remember how old I, I was. Well, like 10 yeah. or 11 or yeah. something. Anyway. It's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Uh, I grew up with musicals because my mum loved them and her favourite was South Pacific. And I know that that one doesn't fall, that, that really doesn't hold up to any kind of scrutiny. It's really about kind of white people invading Pacific Islands and taking them over. Yeah. And I think the sexual politics and identity politics are terrible but um yeah i love that i mean my mum had such a thing about rosanna brazzi like he was her just dream boat yeah and yeah i'm gonna wash that man right out of yes. my hair that's the <laughs> again word perfect on that one yeah yeah <laughs> yep. see and that's the thing as well with these uh, with these kind of films the interesting thing about them is that actually through their problematicness a lot of like great anthems are created like empowering anthems songs are created in those moments because of the problematic nature like wash that man right out mm -hmm. my hair and even like calamity jane there's a song she sings that's now a really big lesbian anthem mm -hmm. woman's touch is the one and th those songs are sort of marinated in the problematic nature of the film yeah no that's an interesting point they could have become reclaimed mm -hmm. um thinking of the films that have been showing at widescreen this weekend we've had the sound of music carmen jones and west side story and i think actually that all well, those are pretty interesting experiences. oh carmen jones yeah. is a great film i saw yeah. that a couple of years ago it's I mean, I mean i'm not sure about the sexual politics mm. actually they're not they don't completely stand up to scrutiny but 
oh, that is such a joy. Dorothy Dandridge and um, Belafonte. Mm. Um, oh, it's just a stunning piece of work. And it's Cinemascope, isn't it? You probably yeah. watched it in on 35. And Oh, gorgeous. That opening scene where she's just going around um, just singing and she's just so powerful. It's the same as the Calamity Jane thing, like just mm. completely just controlling a room just by being powerful and amazing. And her voice is just incredible. But it's kind of groundbreaking in a way, I think, come to yep. Yeah, mm. in, in many ways, actually. So the BFI musical season continues into January. So go check it out all over the country. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about something that is not musical. Mia and I have just both recently been to London Film Festival. And I've spent a week immersed in as yet unreleased films. And I tell you what, there's been some really great female-led films. I think it's been a re actually a really good London Film Festival this year because I have not seen a bad film and I've seen quite a lot. I wanted to highlight a few from female directors to start with. The first one comes out in February 28th, 2020 and it's called Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Portrait d'un jeune fille en feu. Um, Céline Sciamma. Absolutely extraordinary film. We've touched on this in our Cannes episode. Mia, I think you've, have you seen this oh, one? Oh, yeah. yeah. I was caught, we've been calling it a mistress piece because I slightly refused to say <laughs> master. And yeah, I started crying five minutes in and didn't stop. And it's not that it's a tragedy. It's it's not at all. It's mm. just there is something about Celine Sciamma's filmmaking. It's only actually her fourth film. Yeah. And Girlhood was the last. And it's just such a stunningly emotive empathic piece of work isn't it and there's something yeah. so profoundly special about it it's incredibly cinematic i mean it's a period love story between two women but it's so much more than that it's about looking yeah. it's about longing it's about yeah. humanity it's about the gaze yeah absolutely a lot about this incredibly visual film so i would urge everyone to go and see it on the big screen when it comes out in february because it really is one totally immersive yep we will be yeah. touring that so big plug there'll be a reclaim the frame tour of that film great another film that i really enjoyed um from director Rebecca Zlowotowski, An Easy Girl, and she's facile, and um, she did Grand Central. I don't know if anyone saw that, but this is um, this is interesting. It's set in Cannes, actually, and it's about a young girl whose older cousin comes over, a female cousin, who's very glamorous and attractive and very aware of her sexuality. And suddenly the, the, the young cousin's life changes because the interaction they have with men becomes very different. And you can see she's looking up to this older girl and realizing the power of sexuality and how this girl is very much controlling men through her sexuality um, and they meet these guys on yachts you know I've been to Canada a few times and you see all these yachts so it's quite interesting seeing them you know that the, the dynamic between these guys are inviting them on purely because of the way this girl looks and I thought it was just a really really lovely exploration of a of, you know a, a summer in someone's life as many a classic film is so an easy girl yeah that the release date TBC on that but definitely recommend that I also saw um, a film from a new female filmmaker called Natalia Biancheri and it's called Nocturnal and that was a really interesting film it's kind of a mystery thriller really and it's a guy that starts kind of stalking a younger girl and you don't really know why and I won't say much more but it's really got that kind of raw Andrea Arnold fish tank kind of vibe it, it feels very gritty social realist but then takes an interesting thriller type turn so Nocturnal definitely look out for that what nationality is that it's British yeah. Oh, okay. And Rocks, um, you'll be well aware of. Sarah Gavron, um, director of Brick Lane and Suffragette. And I think this is her, her finest work. It's kind of like a, a British high school 
drama stroke with comic, you know, comic elements. Um, I mean, it, it's about a, a girl who's in, in, put in a very, very difficult situation, has to look after her younger brother. Um, and it's how she copes with that or doesn't cope with that and how her circle of friends in particular help her through that. It's incredibly multicultural. And what's nice about Rocks is I think, I mean, it shows rather than showing racial tension it more shows people misunderstanding each other Mm -hmm. but it's not really about clashes between cultures it's quite an optimistic look i would say at you know the racial mix in london in a very impoverished sort of area um and yeah i really loved rocks so i recommend that so me and emma it's been a joy chatting to you guys but stick with us and i wanted to um raise the light so i can see audience hands maybe any other thoughts on musicals or questions for us or requests for more raps or anything. <laughs> sorry, I just dropped That's you in. That's right. I do a request. Uh, thank you. In offering a contrary review, I, I just know I'm going to get killed for mansplaining. So I apologise in advance. At least you know. <laughs> disclaimer. Yeah. Uh, I was like I, a disclaimer. I, just, I know I'm just walking into this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, Can't help yourself. I know. I know. That's, that's the patriarchy for you. Um, I was counting the uses of the word problematic. And I counted eight, including problematicness. And I was it's in the dictionary, of, just check it. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, what you find problematic, I think, trying to read between the lines, is an incompatibility between those older movies and modern values. You're reading everything from the past in terms of the present. That's what I find problematic. And I'm not saying you, we should be uncritical of the, of the past or films of the past or the values of the past. But I do think it's problematic to impose this 2019 viewpoint on a film of 1953, 54, wherever. But even allowing for that, I also think, just from your accounts of some of the films, I don't think you're getting them. I really don't think... In what think, way? I, I don't think you're getting the kind of burlesque spirit of Seven Brides for Seven Brides. Trust me, it I is, love it. It is, not, it is not an instruction manual on how to get a partner. It is. We are not. I'm glad that works. Literally, <laughs> I'm glad that we are not meant to take. But literally. how do you this know that? Because all the people who made it are dead. So I just, I do contest this kind of. Art is, a, is available for everybody to interpret as Indeed. they f- see fit, and it depends how you feel about a film dependent on what you're feeling on any mm. one day you can love something one day and actually see yeah. it again and 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 it, it's reframed in a very different way for you so that's the same in terms of films from the just past to too a couple of the other films carousel uh, which i also revisited just recently is a redemption story it's about a bad boy who is ultimately redeemed if he's going to redeem himself he has to redeem himself from something he has to behave badly in order to be redeemed by the end of the, of the story. I think the thing I was saying about Carousel is that it's the happy sort of, well, this isn't so bad nature of Carousel. I mean, yes, you can't deny that these films are still magical and great, but I think that's the thing that I was watching a film that is sort of approaching it from a jovial perspective, not talking about jovial things. And I think I can only offer my perspective as you know a young woman working in musical theatre. And I think there are musicals now that approach those subjects in a much more 
appropriate and yet magical way. But, so but that's that's, yes, that's what I was. Can I can I come in here actually and say um, I, th I think what you've raised is a really interesting point because I think it highlights how you know the genders perhaps respond differently sometimes mm. to things as they're growing up. And you've been lucky enough to grow up as a man and in a certain kind of privilege that we haven't had. I've mm. had lots of privilege in other ways, um, of course, and I try to always be aware of that. But I think that there's a certain insidiousness in the films like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers that have affected women like me growing up and took me quite a long time to shake off that perhaps men did not experience and I don't want my goddaughter you know my niece whatever to be growing up watching those things and accepting that and that kind of insidiousness and what we're talking about of the jovial aspect of, of oh is it's just men being a bit silly and, and naughty and and you know and and all that just creeps into the unconscious in a, in a way that I think can be difficult problematic if you like but you know d don't get me wrong i thoroughly enjoyed seven brothers, seven brothers i will still watch it but i would hesitate to sit my goddaughter down without having a little mm. chat with her first mm. or particularly a nephew perhaps you know because young men need to know mm. that's not also i think we have to allow for dualities so we what maybe we didn't say is we can still think that those films are incredibly well crafted they're they're by people who are at the top of their game at that time perhaps ever yeah they still hold a place in cinematic history and it is still true that they are also problematic for viewers watching them now all of those things can be true it's not one thing or the Indeed. other yeah. right yeah i agree yep that was a very interesting point thank you anyone else the business of the remake of West Side Story, what, in your view, is the value of reworking or, or, or having, you know, I think it's December 2020, we're expecting Spielberg's West Side Story. Do, do you think that's a valid thing to do? What, what, what's your take on taking those things and then restructuring them and, and representing them in the light of modern sensitivities and, and morals you know yeah i think it's a really i think it's great i think it's the way that it should be moving forward because no one can deny like you said these things were made by people at the top of their game creative they opened the imagination for people they inspired people to go into this industry and i think it's good to go back and sort of keep that magic but take out the things that may have kept other people from relating to the film itself because that's the thing it's not about the films being great and the musicals being great that's a given but there are people there were people watching these films that felt restricted from the conversation and felt jarred by that and that's important so i think it's important to go back and find what was not wrong with it but the things that kept people out of the conversation and making it sort of enjoyable for everyone and, and feeling like people can watch it and feel like they're connected and relating to it so yes i actually think it's a great thing to do and also Netflix does it all the time. <laughs> that's literally my job. That's, that's what you do. Brilliant. Yeah, no, great question. I, I would, yeah, I've been able to agree with that. I, I look forward to seeing it. I hope they do a good job. I'm not a huge fan of remakes all the time because sometimes, you know, they just don't improve on the original. But it would be interesting to revisit it from a from perhaps more culturally sensitive perspective. Mm -hmm. Mia, you look troubled. Yeah, I do, I, I'm not that excited about remakes either. So I kind of feel like, oh, Spielberg doing it, maybe. Um, you know, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like you're going to get a radical remake. Like I just think creatively, cinematically, I'd be more inspired by someone like a Bollywood version of that, or you know, something that's kind of speaks to it but puts it puts it in a totally different context. I feel like sometimes there are things. That are classic that maybe are somewhat untouchable and that to me feels like one of them you know given all the racial insensitivities yeah for sure they're problematic but 
just Spielberg casting someone who is of authentic ethnic origin doesn't necessarily, you know, fix things. Mm. We will see. Good question. Thank you. Any other questions? I was just wondering um, what you think the future of musicals is, because often there are remakes, obviously West Side Story, or retrofitting existing artists into a musical format like Sunshine and Leith or Mamma Mia. So I wondered what a lot of the talk today has been looking back at musicals <coughs> of the past. What about um, of the future? Do you think genre needs kind of a change at all? Sunshine and Leith, I think, is a great example because that I think musicals about real people I think they're always more interesting and people the reason people go to see film or see musicals is to see themselves and feel related so I think the more I've seen musicals and movies and musicals go in that direction the more successful they've been definitely. Mm. Mia obviously you've been a fan of being so long would you prefer to see real life portrayed more in musicals or is escapism still valid? Um, yeah, I think escapism is still valid. It's just, it's more, I think, kind of like different cultural representations that we haven't seen, you know, new voices. I feel mm. like that sort of more exciting. Like, I mean, Hamilton, there must, there's a, mm. there's a film version of that surely coming. Like, there must be, must be. Yeah. I mean, that feels like something that's going to be, that's very now. And again, by someone who's really seriously underrepresented creatively in the musical space, mm historically mm -hmm. who's done something incredible you know that feels kind of very much more what I'm sure will be represented yeah I think now. and it's, yeah like Hamilton's a great example I think the thing at Hamilton that's great is that it's a it's an old story and yep. they they don't make him out to be a, bad, uh, a good guy he's they are very honest about you know his transgressions and he wasn't great and um but it's told by it's it's blind cast it's told by lots of different voices it's a mainly poc cast which mm -hmm. is amazing and they do the same in six i don't know if anyone's heard of that but it that's a musical currently on the west end that um it's about the six wives of henry the eighth mm -hmm. and they do it like it's a concert like reclaiming um you know because all the stories are obviously about him and then you've got these six women just singing about their stories and their lives and that's a mainly poc cast as well and i think you're right like the old stories are great to tell but it's important to hear the new voices because that's a, a different take on it and that's i think that's why those shows have done so well can i ask you what you thought the lady asked the question what's your view about the future of musicals i obviously like them for their escapist value but also I think the human-centred narrative is is also somewhere I might go in the future. Um, also, just to refer to the gentleman's comment, I think it's important to show the older musicals. And like you were saying, Anna, they need to come, though, with a reframing, to use um, Mia's term, just to in order to kind of see how things have adapted and changed. I don't think we can discount them. And I think the word problematic is important and it should be used. So yeah, I just wanted to mention that as well. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you. I think it's really interesting actually, just going back to the point about new work that like Damien Chazelle, who did La La Land is doing a 10 part series, musical series. Yeah. I think it's for Amazon actually. And it's jazz era, twenties Paris set, I believe. So that's really interesting. Like the you know formats like what's going to happen to like long-running serial formats because i think they're responding to like the great showman on earth yeah. type popularity of the musical coming back so that's kind of interesting the multi-format well that's the thing there's more money being put into musicals now surely because of the popularity yeah. of the greatest showman and also rocket man and bohemian rhapsody while not strictly musicals showed the public's appetite for that kind of escapism so hopefully we will see that money put to interesting use mm -hmm. oh, i didn't know that about jamie and i look forward to seeing mm -hmm. that 
question over here. Thank uh, you. Hello. Um, I don't think anyone's mentioned Andrew Lloyd Webber yet. So I was wondering um, which of his adaptations... How us. And um, which of his adaptations um, is your favourite and how you feel about the forthcoming Ooh. feline feature? Yeah, I mean, obviously the trailer for the new one is terrifying. Like, why are they mainly skin? So strange. Um, but yeah, I, d I definitely think as a piece of work, that's his best work, in my opinion. Um, I'm Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat I'm a big fan of. I mean, the music in that is fantastic and the lyrics, um, yeah, brilliant. I mean, I haven't seen it performed for a long time. I think I saw Jason Donovan in it. He was actually very good. So yeah, a fan of that. And I am, I am looking forward to Cats. Not least because I know I'm going to get lots of work on it. It's just <laughs> commenting about it because I love Cats as well. But you know, I am nervous about it. Mia, any Andrew Lloyd Webber favourites? No, don't ask me. <laughs> Not I think my I'm oof, sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm going to ask Emma something because um, I already asked Mia about Bird's Eye View and how we can find out more about that. But Emma, tell us how we can find out more about Netflix and how we can see you perform with your friends. We're um, touring around the country right now. If you go to notflixthemusical.com, we've got all our show dates. We're performing all through the November and we've got some dates in December. And then next year, if you are in London, you want to see a proper London run, we'll be probably at the vaults um, in March. Right, and we'll be re retweeting you and all that kind of stuff. So yes. from Anna Smith Journo on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and as for Girls on Film, if you want to see more live events, you can catch us at home in Manchester on the 23rd of October. So that's pretty soon uh, at the Queen's Theatre in Belfast on 2nd of November 2019. Now I would like to thank my guests Emma Reid, thank you very much, Mia Bays, thank you very much for joining thank us you. today. Many thanks to Heather Archbold for executive producing, to Jane Long and Tom Wally for audio producing, Ben Robards, my husband, for coming up here even though he doesn't like musicals, <laughs> um, the White Screen Weekend for having us, you've all been fantastic, thank you to the staff here, the National Science and Media Museum for hosting us, MX Tyrants for our music, and of course, our wonderful audience, thank you all very much for joining Girls on Film, thank you. Girls on Film is an HLA production produced by Hedda Archbold and Jane Long. Okay, girls, let's go get them.